0: Peterman, man, welcome to the pace Line. How are you doing?
1: Uh super excited to be here, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing pretty good.
0: Awesome. Uh what's it like in Taiwan right now? How's how's the weather? Uh, hot, yeah, hot. <laughs> and and hot. humid, I'm guessing. Humid. Mm. Humid. Yeah. Morning is-, is
1: good. Between between five and seven AM is really good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm not supposed to laugh, but I grew up in Memphis, <laughs> so I- you know, my heart's with you. Um, yeah, yeah, now, uh, so for our listeners, uh, who don't know your name because you weren't a pro cyclist, but you were really fast at one point in time, why don't you run down like, uh, a bit of your resume and some of the places that you did time?
1: Sure, sure, sure. So like a lot of people, um, of my, um, age in the business, you know, we all started out with a passion for cycling and, and, and racing, uh, some of us with MTB, some of us with road, you know, I rode raced from 79 to 86 primarily in Colorado and mm-hmm. I lived in Durango and uh, went to school in Durango and then uh, lived in Boulder for a few years because Boulder was the epicenter of racing nationally back in the eighties, early eighties. And um, then I got, uh, went back to school in Durango and opened uh, became a manager of a bike shop down there. And um, that was when the bike mountain bike boom was happening like uh 85 86 87 88 and um started to promote races i was the first promoter of a norba state championship in colorado in 1985 <laughs> so uh i talked to uh bob hadley wasn't there then but it was glenn odell and glenn i put the idea up to glenn to have a state championship and i and he said sure and that was in 85 so i ran that race in 85 86 87 88 and then um I became, uh, uh, in 88, I became uh, one of the first outside sales reps for GT Bicycles uh-huh. uh, back then, hired, hired personally by Richard Long. And I did that job for about eight years uh, in, in, covering Colorado and Utah during at, during a, a pretty strong time for mountain bike sales. Mm-hmm. Drove a lot, 60,000 miles a year, covered a lot of towns. and oh. you know, sa- Sales repping territory, doing a territory, you know, you learn a great deal about the industry, especially at the shop level, you know, it's invaluable. But then I got tired of driving that much. And so I I transitioned inside to be a product product manager, a product developer in in Southern California. And I lived there for 15 years in Laguna beach uh, and and worked at GT for 15 years. um, As a product developer, a senior product developer, director, blah, blah, blah. And kind of went up the food chain. Then uh, GT went bankrupt and I, and, uh, the whole thing fell apart as we all know. And then yeah. I got, I got rehired and built the whole thing back up from scratch. And then, uh, was general manager for a while. And then, uh, then I got the opportunity to be the vice president of Asia with cycling sports group. And that happened in 2013. And, um, uh, I got married to a wonderful, uh, Taiwanese American lady and, uh, her family was here in Taichung, and the position was in Taichung. So I decided to take it. And so, uh, Moved here and uh, ran the office. It's about 50 people test lab engineers, the a whole foreign office gig. And then, um, and then a lot of changes in the company happened a lot. And I just felt like it was time for me to do my own thing. And that's why I started Airfoam, uh-huh. you know, three years ago. So I, I had an idea. And I uh, did a lot of research on it. And uh, like many ideas in cycling, it's driven by materials development. So new materials enable new concepts and new innovations like carbon fiber, aluminum, titanium, you know, machining processes, all those things. So there's a new categories of foams on the market that were fully recyclable and very high performing. So that's where I got the idea for air foam. So <clears throat> I got some angel investors and I launched the company.
0: Uh, For those listeners who haven't had the good fortune to run across your product, describe it just a little bit for us.
1: AirFoam is a uh, completely airless system uh, for bicycle tires. So you can use our product and have a mechanic install the inserts uh, into your tires. And uh, they weigh approximately the same as your tube and tire uh, that you had before. Um, And it has uh, great rolling feel, excellent shock absorption. It's incredibly durable works in all temperatures. So if you're, it's not for racers at this point in time, Mm -hmm. racers want the ultimate performance, but if you're a commuter or an urban rider or you have an e-bike and you commute on it and especially with e-bikes with hub motors in the rear are really difficult to change that rear tire. It's very difficult. So if you want, you know, uh, to, have no flats ever again you'll never have a flat again if you want no pressure maintenance and if you always want the optimum feeling of ride because a lot of people ride around with half we call half flat
0: tires (laughs) yep
1: and they don't know that (laughs) um because they probably don't have a pump the kind of pump they want um so Airfoam just it it eliminates one of the worst problems in cycling and uh we're just a startup so we're primarily in the share bike share bike business and e-scooter business right now um, we're doing some aftermarket currently, but I have to build, you know, we have to build a, a pretty serious service network and a presentation for shops, shops to accept it and want to do it. Um, so uh, we're on the road and we're doing good. So we're not in America yet. I have a lot of interest from America. We haven't found a distributor that wants to, wants to partner with us and present it correctly to the shops. So we're looking for that person, looking for that entity. So uh, anybody out there who wants to have a great airless system, To sell the bike shops, you know, we have it. So um very cool. That's my story. It's my five minute life story, you
0: well and that (laughs) brings us to why we're talking today, which is you're in Taiwan and you're well connected, and I figured Peterman will know what's going (laughs) on with the supply chain and uh (laughs) you know what the problem is. So first, you know, at its most elemental, bikes still aren't flowing. Why?
1: Ah, uh, that's a great question. So I think the main question is that the, the bicycle supply chain has is, is never been healthy. It's never been healthy. Um, there's not a huge number of suppliers for critical components. There's a handful. The major sub- supplier, we'll call them Big Blue, Shimano, um, is a bottleneck. Uh, in as we as we discussed in February of 2020, most suppliers were canceling orders canceling orders. They thought the virus was gonna shut down uh, the economy. Right. Um, two months later, they were doubling their orders. So they did a, a complete high-speed U-turn and uh, that kind of disruption and that kind of un- unpredictable event in the supply chain of cycling is, you can't handle it. Lead times for bikes are typically 90 to 120, even when well-planned uh, for high-quality bikes. Frame mm-hmm. manufacturing components is a huge amount of products that need to come to the, to the assembly line for assembly, and the coordination of that is not to be underestimated. So uh, when you have a 2X, a 3X order uh, increase globally, globally, because it's affected everywhere, which is also incredible, then the supply chain can't respond, especially Shimano, they can't respond. And and they're not gonna build three or four new factories. Mm-hmm. Shimano, Shimano has a, a long-term plan. They make money, they're profitable. They have X factories, they have X capacity. They they maybe tweak that by 10%, extra shift, whatever. But they're not building new factories because they they don't believe in anomalous events. They believe in an organized long-term plan. So that bottleneck, for Shimano alone, bottlenecks everything else. Um, Everybody, go ahead.
0: Well, I'm curious. uh, I mean, is there anything that can... You know, is there a lever long enough to move Shimano in one direction or another? Or, or are they essentially um the pace at which, you know, what they do is the pace at which the bike industry moves. Is that a fair statement?
1: Uh due, due to their uh dominance and, and their and their and their uh you know ubiquitousness across cycling, um, they determine how fast the business moves. Mm. Um, SRAM, SRAM in the upper end, you know, SRAM in the upper end for road has some, has some leverage. SRAM certainly in one buy, uh in upper end MTB has some leverage, but your bread and butter product, you know, your 599, 699, 799, with an rear derailleur, allevio shifters, uh, you know, an SR crank or whatever. Um, that's, that's Shimano running the show right there. And, you know, that stuff is uh, hugely in demand and that's, that's, re- yeah, that's where bike shops make yeah. You know, a lot of bike shops sell thousand, $2,000 bikes. A lot of them sell a lot of 699, 799 bikes, especially in a pandemic where someone comes in and goes, Hey, I want to buy a bike. You know, mm-hmm. even now, you know, they're not going to shell out two grand on a bike for a pandemic bike, you know? So, so, uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the, and, and plus the other suppliers like, you know, Tektros, Sun tours, uh, rock shocks, all those other things that are on the bikes. Uh, velo those kind of saddles you know they 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 were caught unawares and even they i mean the lead time to build a new factory is 2 years <laughs> so you can't add infrastructure overnight you just turn the dial on what you have
0: right right um is it typical for factories in uh taichung uh you know at least in the bike industry to run you know what we would think of as three shifts run 24 hours
1: No, they won't do that here. They'll do it. They might do it. They, okay. So 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they, they might do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, China, China, they, they would definitely do that in China. Um, Vietnam, they cannot do that by law. So it's, you know, two shifts maximum, you know, eight to eight to midnight. Um, But to run for assembly factory to run that shift, they have to have the stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. getting this, getting the stuff is the problem. So, you know, someone like Tektro right now, they're quoting two year lead times for breaks. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like people just throw their hands up. You know, people are putting out POs for 2023 right now. Like, what? (laughs) Because they just want to secure it. They just want to get their, they want to get a place in line. Yeah. Shimano Shimano is what we call FIFO first in, first out. You you can give them a forecast, Uh but they're actually using that forecast just to see as intelligence, to see what you're using. They're not actually acting on that forecast. They don't act on it. They don't build your stuff based on your forecast. So it's like, what are you, what are you using of our stuff and what are you not using? They're unbelievably unbelievably good at analysis on you know, what product managers are gonna use and what they're not gonna use by asking for that forecast. That forecast is uh, not actionable. You have to put the order in. You gotta put the order in. And when they receive the order, then you get in line. So that's
0: how that works. Wow. So now at some point, the bike industry is going to get caught up and all the people who've been waiting for the bikes that they ordered, you know, four months ago, all those folks are satisfied. How much longer do you think that's going to take? And I get that I'm asking you a question about a situation (laughs) that the world has never seen before, but you're a smart guy. I'm going to ask.
1: Smart guy. (laughs) I'm gonna uh let me let me dust off my crystal ball. You know, there's a lag time and everything, right? So there's like two X, three X, four X of orders in the system. And Shimano has made it very clear to people that if you cancel your order, you will be persona non grata. So they are being very serious about these big orders being placed and, and the leverage behind them. Um, and so they're using, the you know, the, the weapon they have, which is just the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think, I think that the lag time is going to, is going to be, you know, it's 18 months of production right now, minimum booked ready to go at larger numbers than we've ever seen before. So if for some reason this whole thing tapers by Christmas, and you see, twenty twenty three, sorry, twenty twenty two, being a year where we approach ten percent over baseline or fifteen percent over baseline. You're going to see a lot of product in the stores. I'm going to say a year from now, you might see a lot more product coming in, a lot more. Interesting. And that's from everybody, man. That's from everybody. That's D 2 C. That's mass market. That's all channels globally, and um, you know that's that's a big deal. That's a big deal because it's it's a lot of stuff is moving right now.
0: So once we're in a situation of massive oversupply, who are going to be the first victims? The smaller companies?
1: No, the factories. Oh. Because what will happen is they, they won't cancel Shimano. They'll cancel the order at the factory or they'll push it out. They'll start, we used to say we're going to push the order out. So if we had a big, you know, we we had five containers of super six Evos and each container is worth like half a million bucks because the bike's so expensive, you know, and, 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 that's that product is slowed down. We tell the factory, push that out for six months, push it out. Uh, they, they can't push it out. They, they can, I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's going to sit in their bonded warehouse upstairs, all that stuff. They got to pay the bill. They got to go to the bank, get an increase in credit and they got to, they got to, you know, pay Shimano because <laughs> once mm-hmm. you don't pay Shimano, then you're really done. So, you know, the factories get caught in that, that gap. Um, the big guys with the leverage will push things out. The small guys without the leverage will take the orders. But, uh, you know, we'll see. And, and then you have D to C players. I mean, you have big players out there like Rad Power now and some other people, you know, people that actually don't use that much Shimano, but use a lot of electrical components from Bafom and those other things. Uh-huh. They're like off, 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 not off brand, but they're not hugely dependent on Shimano, but even the e-bike components now are under serious pressure as well. Mm. And and the e-bikes are kind of a different segment, different channel than IBD product. So um, they're, they're taking huge share. I mean, Rad Power's going to sell 200,000 bikes next year, you know, in, in the USA, direct to consumer. Wow. I mean, yeah, they, they, they took, they, they hit the spec, they hit the price, and And they're delivering, so you know they're they're in a place where a lot of people aren't right now,
0: okay, one last question I mean, I've been hearing how specialized and giant you know and trek uh they've they've been able to get more of their bikes produced and over here than a lot of the smaller brands uh you know the uh i mean Santa Cruz is substantial, but they're nothing like giant uh what is going to start happening to the Ibises and uh, Santa Cruz and Yeti and all these other lines that are, you know, really high quality, um, but don't have the depth of product line that a specialized does? Yeah.
1: Well, hopefully they'll survive. Um, they have to have stuff to sell to keep operations going. Um, when their product is delayed three, four, five months, and they can't ship out the dealers, you know that's a cash crunch. So they mm-hmm. got to have friendly banks. Um, they have to have resources. They have to they have to they have to move through this, you know, really choppy financial sea. Which I hope they do because they they make they make the bike industry great. I think those 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 uh, those small brand houses are are you know. Bikes that that really a lot of enthusiasts love, you You know, know. and, um, absolutely. And, you know, but they they can't, they can't swing the stick like the other guys can. I mean, I know, I know a guy here that runs factor, you know, and he has to, you know, he has to beg on the phone every day to get his stuff so he can build bikes, you know, and it's, it's a serious cash crunch for people. So, um, that lack of inventory and that lack of sales is, is, I have to believe is a, a challenge for them, a big challenge for them. And it's, it's too bad. Cause the big boys do have a bigger stick and they, mm-hmm. th- I mean, the specialized guys were over here in quarantine for two weeks, you know, in a hotel room, when they got out, they were just here for a month, visiting every supplier, flying to Japan, you know, doing all those things to try and get their bikes going. And a lot of that was, con- you know, containers too. You know, some companies had huge amounts of bikes waiting to be shipped, but the containers weren't there. So the containers were gone. So you have 70,000 bikes sitting on the dock in, in China And they're waiting there for three months because there's no containers. So that's another whammy on the whole Uh supply chain. You know, another
0: problem. What is the why of not enough containers? Is it because there's so much product moving or are they stuck elsewhere in the world?
1: Uh, That that second point, that's what I read. Uh, You know, I I do research on container ship companies and it's like uh, the they're doing very well right now because container ships now containers now five times more expensive than they were last year. (gasps) Mm. So if a container here was $3,000 to go from, let's say, Xiamen, China to Long Beach, California, 3,000, 3,000. Now it's 12,000. Now it's 13,000. And you've also seen a serious depreciation in the U S dollar of almost 10% over the past eight months.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so you you know people in the USA are really a little bit alarmed at price increases. There's some fundamental foundational reasons behind that. But look, containers are in the wrong place. The, mm-hmm. the pandemic, when everything stopped and the ships were taking things to certain places, they didn't come back to China. They didn't oh. come back. You know, the container makers are trying to make containers in China, but the containers are, are all in the wrong places. And you just don't go, well, just bring it back. You know, it doesn't work like that. So it takes time to, you know, balance out the flow again. So it's not a lack of containers. It's just, yeah, bad distribution of them.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I I I said I was asking my last question, but I got to go back because you're a guy who's been through acquisitions. Do you think we're going to see some of these smaller players uh, bought up by uh, a Trek or a Specialized like that's happened in the past?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think you'll see smaller players bought up by equity people, not uh, by other brands. Okay. I think the big, the big brands already know that you, you can't sell more than one brand. It's very difficult. It's, it's, it's really complex. If if a specialized bought a Yeti, it, uh, who's going to sell it? The Salesforce ain't going to sell it. They're not going to sell it. It's just going to mm-hmm. sit there languishing. I've been in that position. So, you know, I, I think, I think you're seeing a lot of people, a lot of money being interested in the bike business right now. And if you're like an Ibis or a, or a Pivot or a Yeti, you've probably had calls from people asking you to invest in the company. So it's a, you know, it, it's, it's a big, and bike companies are very sexy right now. They're making money. Things are happening. The industry looks good. So, you know, private equity moves towards that. So it's just up to the philosophy of the, of the, of the owners as to how, if and how mm-hmm. they want to take the next step in, in funding. Some are very happy where they are, which I respect. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I actually appreciate You know, it's, it's, it's a very wise that a company's at a certain size and they retain their culture and their feeling and they're, and they're not trying to dominate the world. You know, I think that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, based on what I've seen. Yeah. There's a lot of value to that. Um, absolutely. And a, uh, a really lovely, lovely integrity that comes with it as well. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It makes it real.
0: Yeah. Uh, and speaking of real, dude, it's been much too long. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you, too, Patrick. I appreciate it. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a big conversation. Um, I have one viewpoint and uh, it's a big deal. So uh, thanks for letting me express my thoughts on it and be able to hang out with you a little bit. So always yeah. fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks, man. All All
1: right. Yeah. Goodbye from Taiwan.
0: Yeah. All man. You take care. Have a good day
1: day. Cheers. Cheers.